We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the Gator Nation Football Podcast with your hosts, Alan Williams and James DiVirgilio. This place is an insane asylum in the swamp! Oh, my! Now we know we're just a bunch of average stiffs. Scared money don't make money, you know? Happy New Year and welcome to a new edition of the Gator Nation Football Podcast. I'm your host, James DiVirgilio, alongside Alan Williams. Alan, Happy New Year. Welcome back into the studio. Indeed. Thank you. Yes, Happy New Year to you as well. Good to be here with you on a beautiful January day in Gainesville, Florida. Indeed. It seems like, Alan, every time we hop on the air these days, the tenor around the football program is suspect uh, yeah maybe kind of it goes up and down it's volatile that's it's for sure very volatile it, it also just seems it, it there's a lot to uncover in this probably shorter episode theoretically famous last words not going to be a mega so we don't have a lot of content on the storyboard here but you just never know with us what will give you our in-depth thoughts but certainly interesting things to cover and and some troubling things perhaps depending on where you are on the list of feels about the program and what's going on as always if you like the content on this show follow us on social media sub to our channel on youtube where we bring you film breakdowns and become a patron on patreon where you too can support us financially by dropping us a dono and becoming a donor shout out as always to our just absolutely fantastic assistants if you will our producer b red and then carly the commissioner for her work on the video uh, editing all season long. And then the GNFP Sammy, which has now I think become like a watering hole for so many people mm. from all over Gator Nation, whether it be other journalists or other podcasters or obviously all of our illustrious fans and the GNFP Java Discord thread. So it's great to see that becoming a daily way for people to talk football uh, with each other. And that's, great. that's, yeah, that's really wonderful. So nice work again to, to both Java and Sammy for setting that up and recognizing there was a need for that and something that people wanted. All right. We did have some donos over the new year and Christmas and uh, we th- we're thankful for those and we'll announce them obviously like we do each and every episode right now. Uh, small donos and a level up here from Libgator, annual dono there. Level up from Trevor Rose, level up from Robert Davies. Way to go, Man, guys. Leveling up. That. Good job. Let's go. And some brand new small donos from Brian Horsham and Mick Nim. Welcome in. Welcome into the family. 
Medium Donos, new donor here from Gerald Robinson. Welcome, Gerald. Great to have you. And James Ridge is still on the throne, but barely. Things have gotten very close. It's very close. It's the off season. If you want to be king of the GNFP, the best time to do it's probably the off season. If you're thinking of a eBay blind bidding strategy, what's the lowest you know level generally? That. Uh, at any rate, Ridge is still on the throne, and he has been presiding over a very tumultuous uh, season in the kingdom, mm. so to speak. All right, Alan, read off some of our legends as you do each and every episode. I will. I'll start with the legendary Barry Jenkins, Guy Tumbleson, Cooper and Kylie Craig, Jason Walker, the big homie, Lil Peyton, Constantine, Double O, Alexander Leventhal, Diego Rivera, Bill Hood, James Newton, Nathan Jeter, Stashmi, Bobby Boucher, Frank Marcellisi, Mike Wechter, Tim Kane, Nicholas Isaac, Mike, Mark Jackson, Tim Honderick, James Truett, Gus O'Leary, Brad Wilson, Mark Mitchell, Chris Folsom, Dr. Matthew Galloway, Jamie Galliano, Aaron Jeter, Jason Landry, Michael Reeves, Jason Johnson, Zach Sparks, Mark Rubenstein, Tyler Romer, Craig Scarado. Thanks to each and every one of you. Let, let's start off and talk about that national title game. You want, you want to start there? I want to start right there. <laughs> uh, if you missed it, which don't worry if you did, uh, the Bulldogs beat the Horn Frogs 65 to 7. I actually didn't know what the final score was, I didn't watch any of the second half. Um, just a brutalizing game. Just smashed them up and down the field. Uh, was not pretty from the jump. And a lot of people thought it might turn out this way. You know, TCU had a lot of voodoo with them. They tend to muck up games and come back and play in crazy games. So I, even when it seemed like Georgia was going to put it on them early on, I was like, I don't know, man. This TCU team is this weird stuff. But they could just not compete. No, they couldn't. And, Alan, how often do you see a national title game in anything where – the quarterback of the team that is leading gets pulled with almost the entire fourth quarter remaining in his last probably meaningful football game ever. It's very unlikely that Stetson Bennett locks onto an NFL roster. He's going to get invites, maybe even maybe perhaps even gets drafted with like a flyer seventh round pick, but pretty unlikely. Don't count him out. His whole entire story is very unlikely, but that's kind of interesting. Right. And then on top of that, you know, Kirby like goes for it and, TCU pulls out, you know, Max Dugan and just so bizarre, not a great look for college football. I want to ask you first, a lot of people took to the airwaves to talk about what a bad look this was for college football. What are your feelings on how Mm. this national title game shook out? I don't think it's bad at all. I mean, TCU earned their way in there. They won a game to get there. Uh, If this was the old BCS and they got slotted in there and been like, this is a, what were you guys thinking? But I think they deserve that fourth spot as much. Well, they were in the third spot. They deserve to be in the top four as much as anybody. There wasn't teams that got left out that I felt sorry for at all. And they beat Michigan fair and square. They're in the right to play in that game. I think you'll see less of this in the 12 team playoff. They'll have to, a team like TCU would have to win more games. And if they did and they get blown out of the end, that this is how it goes. I mean, when we were growing up, the Super Bowl felt like every year in the 80s was a giant blowout, like 55 to like 10 and stuff like that. So, I mean, the NFL is not above this either. Although, of I've been nice the last 20 years. More often than not, the game has been good. But, I, you know, I don't think anyone should feel bad about it at all. I mean, just the way it is, uh, there's a very few of elite, elite teams talent-wise. TCU is not one of them. But 
I think George would have smashed a lot of programs. For sure. And that's the narrative, I think, for me, Alan. One, good news is a bigger playoff is on the way. That does help to reduce the likelihood of this. We've talked about it all year long. I talked about it with the Big Ten and how frustrated I was that Ohio State and Michigan got in there because I felt like the Big Ten was very unproven this year. Ohio State wound up playing a game they should have probably beaten Georgia in which all comes down to something we have talked about from day one on this podcast is if you want to win a national title, you have to be a tier one or tier one and a half school talent wise. Well, guess what? Ohio state is Michigan. Isn't TCU definitely isn't. So when faced with a Georgia team who almost lost was hyper focused, that's a bad recipe for just a completely overmatched football team in TCU, but that does not diminish their season for the rest of their lives, it's going to feel, I think, that way to them. I think they're probably going to feel a little bit fraudulent, as athletes will tend to feel when you get exposed like that. That's unfortunate, because mm-hmm. the goal of sports, Alan, is to reach your ceiling. For all of us in our own individual lives, it's to reach your own talent ceiling. And I think there can be no doubt that TCU did that, stratospherically. They they way outran you know their mileage meter this season, and that's what they should remember when it's all said and done, is they reached their ceiling. Georgia almost didn't reach theirs because they almost took an L to Ohio State. Uh, They wound up having having a nice win. Stetson Bennett caps off a remarkable storyline from walk-on to nobody to, you know, basically back-to-back kind of MVP caliber quarterback in the playoffs. And a guy who at times can struggle during football games but always found himself in the most clutch moments. And that is really... I think the story for me of Stetson Bennett, a guy who I had openly said should not have been starting last year. I thought he lowered that team ceiling. I thought they flirted with disaster. He got better this year. He still had major issues a lot of the time throughout the season. But when it mattered the most for him, he delivered in the game versus Bama last year and in the game versus Ohio State this year. He turned it on. He has that ability within him. Uh, And congrats to him and obviously Georgia. But yeah, to your point, Alan, This happens in every single sport. It's better the bigger your playoff is because people will forget that a little bit more. If TCU earns their way here by beating two schools, then you can't complain about it. You just give your hats off to Georgia. Mm -hmm. So we're almost there. But regardless... um, Well, here's what I'll say about the talent differential. You see a team like Ohio State who did not play like that at all during the year. But if they put it all together, they are talented enough to play with Georgia. Let's say they make that kick. They probably beat TCU. Maybe you but never know. They they could definitely lose to TCU for sure. Like Georgia playing at its best is not going to even come close. But you know, if Georgia has a really wonky game, TCU could compete. They're not that far back. But if on their A game, Georgia on his A game is going to smash them, right? So that thing that's what you're looking at. It doesn't mean they can never lose. I mean, Georgia almost lost to Missouri, and Missouri Should've is lost. yeah, you know, a relative equal to TCU. And so I don't want to be like fatalistic is like, oh, just no one could ever play with Georgia. I mean, they almost lost Ohio State, which I think I would have picked Ohio State to beat TCU, but I wouldn't have felt confident about it. Yeah, that's great. And you're talking so, about variance right yeah. there. And that's that's true in all of pro sports, right? And that's really what you're saying. When people argue the SEC is a conference where a team like TCU or Michigan or Ohio State would take more losses, it's not just the talent per se. That's a lot of it. But it's the week in, week out games versus talent and depth that your variance will make you pay. You do not have two or three weeks in a row where you can just cruise and you have such a massive margin for error that you get wins. You don't. You will take L's 
And you hear the SEC coaches say that every single week. You heard Kirby Smart say it after the win versus Missouri. Every single road win in the SEC is hard. They're not just saying that as hyperbole. That's a real thing. That's a real thing. But a lot of these schools obviously don't face that kind of comp every single day. But to your point, Allen, Ohio State on their best day could beat anyone. And on their worst day, they would lose to a lot more teams than Georgia would. And that's what makes playoffs sports compelling in general. But all in all, no, not a bad look for the college football playoff um, system. That happens in every single sport, and it's getting better. I think that's what probably pacified a lot of people. Hey, if you thought that Bama should have been in instead or someone else should, well, that's going to happen. We're almost there. Let's not freak out about this result. But how do you feel, Alan, the bigger the bigger domino here is how do you feel about Georgia now being back-to-back national champions? I don't like it, sir. Uh the problem is, too, it feels like they're entering into a potential Alabama era of dominance here. Now, Alabama's still lurking. There's other programs out there who could make a run at them, but I don't know. I The good thing is, actually, I think in a 12-team playoff, they're more likely to lose a game. Like in this four-team scenario, they're probably going to win a lot. They have, being exposed to more types of things, and again, like an injury, like if, not that sets a minute is – going to be a number one overall pick or anything but if they lose him in that Ohio State game all of a sudden they're very vulnerable against TCU potentially depending on who's behind him right and how good that person is we have no idea really um, how Carson Beck would have performed in that game so I think that creates more variance creates more opportunity for losses Um, they're going to be in the playoff like every year it's hard to imagine them in their current structure not making it uh, so if you're looking for to get Georgia out of there, out of the playoff in general, that's harder. But maybe they won't win it as much when they're in there. Yeah, it's a pretty simple formula, uh, right? I think Will Miles wrote an article about this uh, and, and this con- you know concepts of the recruiting tiers. But essentially, unless you were in the top five of overall talent in the past 10, 12 years, you have not won a national title. It's just that simple. And another year where a Michigan does not get it done, TCU does not get it done. It's the same school as winning. And to your point, Alan, when when your talent is that much better, something that really cannot occur in the NFL, and that's why the NFL is so interesting, even the best NFL team is only maybe two touchdowns better than the worst team mm-hmm. in college football. That is not even remotely true. And so you have these coaches hoarding all of the talent, and it's nearly impossible to overcome all of them, so to speak, one of them is going to win and the rest of you are fighting for leftovers. And obviously Florida is on the outside looking in. Georgia is permanently in there. They're not slowing down. And I think, Alan, they have a massive advantage over other schools in the NIL era. Uh, Kirby now has gone on record multiple times talking about how he can sit down with players and say, if you're really interested only in NIL money, do not come here. And so can Nick Saban. They talk about this very high and mighty, very nice. I think they would also be able to recognize if they were at Florida or somewhere else, that's not the story they can tell. The machine is not up and operating. The players are not going to bow to the culture. So they have an extra advantage where the rest of these schools are fighting tooth and nail to raise dollars to bring in a single player. You have Georgia who's basically saying, oh, if that's all you care about, you don't fit our culture. And players say, no, 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 I, I care more about winning and other stuff and getting to the NFL and my life. So it's a buzzsaw. He's got it rolling right now, and, I, and I'm sure that continues to make our, our number one podcast fan, Tyler Rummery, very upset because I think he's still not a believer in Kirby Smart. It's sort of yeah. like the boosters did it or someone else paid for it. But the reality is Kirby is in rarefied air right now. And to your point, Alan, Kirby's a young man. 
If he keeps this going, it's very possible that he is the next Saban, maybe even more so with what he's got going on in the state of Georgia, where almost all of those players stay. And a remarkable stat was that like the last eight or so national champions have had a quarterback from the state of Georgia as their quarterback, which is insane. So major advantage for schools like LSU and Georgia to have their homegrown talent pretty much stay. Where in Florida, these guys are loyal to no one. And it's very, very difficult nowadays to recruit the state of Florida. And you're seeing that from all the Florida schools. And, you know, I guess we'd have to hope for that Kirby, as much as he is like Saban, no one is wired like Saban that, I mean, do you get bored? Do you want a new challenge? Do you just can't keep up the optimum performance for that great a period of time? And so you just have to hope for failure from his part, or maybe he just quits or goes to the NFL or tries to do something. I mean, it's not seemingly likely but that's really all you have to hope for to derail georgia at this point yeah that's a good point the nfl is always alluring i think to guys like that at some point especially where he's at there's no mention of that right now but to your point uh, he's got it going on and when you're when you're looking for maybe an exit to the nfl you know that someone is entrenched if that's your if that's, that's your, your hope let me ask you were you watching the kick at midnight, or were you watching the ball drop? Both. So I was in Sarasota watching the pineapple drop from a crane in a condo. And on my <laughs> right-hand side, I had a giant TV. And to my left, I could see the pineapple. And it was remarkable. And lifetime, I was able to watch these things occur at the same time. And my friends and I were just remarking, that that's outrageous. I feel like that occurred almost simultaneously with midnight. And of course, now we know that it, it did. Yeah. It really did, which was, which was wild. Yeah, because of the delay I got to of you know, streaming it, I flipped over to the broadcast to see the ball drop was there, you know, everyone says happy new year's toast and then flipped it back just in time to see them snapping the kick. And so I got to watch both happen. Uh, it was a nice piece of luck there, but that was crazy. We were looking at the clock back, man, this is going to come down to it pretty close. And it happened simultaneously, which is crazy. So hopefully we can get off these new year's eves, eventually with the playoff they they shift the calendar but i don't know i mean do they like it maybe they love it i don't this is the first year people have liked it because the games were good usually the ratings aren't that good and it's new year's eve yeah i don't like it i feel like if i'm their marketing exec i'd get it off that date there's a lot of other dates that i think are a lot better to do it on like new year's day for example well it's the rose bowl was holding all of college football hostage for decades of course and those dudes man just cut them out at this point. If they're going to slow things up, just remove them. And it seems like they're ready to do that finally. Well, the money is not there anymore, right? So now they've lost a lot of leverage. So just do whatever you have to do. Put it in the best spot. New Year's Day is the best. New Year's Day is a layup for these playoff games. It's begging for that. And And I'm I'm hopeful they're going to shift the entire calendar back to start on what, quote unquote, week zero. Like Florida played Miami week zero a couple years. There's usually a, a few games, but... I think the calendar needs to start there just to create space for these extra games. It would be ideal. I think it'd be nice to end on New Year's Day in my perfect world. That's your national title game. But I'll take I'll take the national title the next well, week. Well, at least would be the semis. Correct. Like I'll take now. that. I'll take that as well. That also works. Um, anything else you want to say about the playoffs? I, not, not particularly. We kind of covered it. But again, TCU, great win over Michigan. That's a good win. Don't, don't forget that. You know, it's easy to look down on that in sports that you didn't get the ultimate prize, but um, that was unpredictable. Most mm-hmm. of you probably did not have TCU winning that football game. Of course, I on the podcast did. 
total miracle. I only, I only picked them for my heart. There was no analytical value there. I just wanted Michigan not to win. Uh, but regardless, that's why sports are really fun. Every time you think you know something, remember that you probably don't. Anything can happen. Although it seemed like Georgia was going to win that game by a million points, they were actually only favored by 13 and a half points at kickoff. Mm-hmm. So again, you just don't always know what's going to happen. Okay, we are recording this program, this show, this episode at about noon on Friday. Uh, this is not a normal recording slot for us. This is when we could find the time to do this one. So we're going to talk about the uh, Jane Rashada news. But if <laughs> if everything changes, you know, after we record this, you know, <laughs> I guess that's how it goes. But it's Friday. Seemingly the last day for him to enroll. I'm sure all of you are aware of just the chaos. No one knows all the details, but uh, Sainz's letter of intent with Florida has not enrolled along with the early enrollees and seems like his NIL contract has, I don't know, turned into a giant mess. This has been a rough week for Florida fans. This was the guy who... You know, we missed out on, then we got back in this triumphant way. Seemed to signal such good news for Florida, and the vibe shift has been hard. And you know what? I don't, I'm not enough of an insider in the NIL world to know what really went on or what happened or who's to blame, but this is just tough. It's, it's beyond tough. It, it for me, just, goes beyond the scope of the micro. The micro is you got a player who signed a reportedly $13 million contract, as you said, who is theoretically not going to come because of factors that only those involved can know. Is it a contract issue? Is it an attorney issue? Is it a promise issue? Whose fault is it? Is it Scott Strickland's? Is it Billy Napier's? Is it Darren? Is it Heitner's? Is it, uh, you know, Eddie Rojas's? Is it all these people's names that do things behind the scenes? I have no idea. We have no idea. We have no no way of knowing that. For me, I just go to one thing, Alan, and I've said this and I'm going to keep saying it. I like college football less and less every single day. Mm. And until they fix this, I might get to the point where I do this podcast and I don't even like the sport I'm covering. And it's not because of money. I keep saying that. I love the NFL. Those guys all get paid. But this is a colossal joke across the board. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to go on another rant. I've done it before. You can hear this on previous podcasts. But this whole thing right now, what we're talking about, is a sick and twisted joke of a player and a parent and attorneys and collective runners and middlemen and bagmen. And none of these people are the team and the player right? or the team and the player and the agent, which is how it's done in every other sport that's realistic and takes itself seriously. So they have taken a sport that I love that had some issues. Obviously we've talked about this, right? Nothing was perfect, but They've taken a sport that most of us have loved and they've turned it into a clown show. This is amateur hour. It's a joke. It's ridiculous. And on top of that, the term NIL makes me sick for the reasons I mentioned last time. Jalen Rashada's name, image, and likeness is worth absolutely nothing. I'm going to say it right now. No company cares about Jalen Rashada. They don't care about you. They don't care about your worth. No one wants to wear your jersey. No one cares. You might not even play at Florida. You are getting paid money because you could be a good football player at Florida. That is not the purpose of NIL. That's not what it's supposed to be. It's a sham. It's a mockery. It's a joke. It's disgusting, and I hate it. And this stuff is just insane because Florida 
has been on seemingly the worst end of all of the NIL stories right. to the point now where this one making major news in a lot of long form articles with a lot of people being quoted just shows how ridiculous this is that you have outside operators not affiliated officially with UF that are handling and running these. I mean, this is this is absurd. If I'm a yeah. coach, I'm pissed. I'm a fan, I'm pissed. I'm you. I'm, I'm just I'm mad at all the angles. And what are you going to do? I don't know, but certainly. I don't feel good about it at any way, shape, or form. If he signs the $13 million contract, do I like that? No, that's ludicrous. He's making more than most backup quarterbacks in the NFL are that have been there for six years. Like, what are we doing here? That's crazy. And the whole thing is broken. If you're Billy Napier, if you're Scott Strickland, you don't hire the people running the collective. You're not in charge of them. You didn't select them to run your player procurement agency, which is, you know, whatever you want to say, this is what this is. And so it's a total idiotic system. And gosh, I was reading an article this morning where the NCAA is looking to Congress to fix it, which I normally would say that's a terrible idea. But with all these different state laws and all this stuff, and you know they can't do things because they don't want to get sued into oblivion, there might have to be a congressional act in, in order to fix this and salvage what's left of a college football ecosystem where people can navigate it without losing their minds or doing crazy things. There has to be some kind of reform. I don't know what that's going to be, but it's tough, man. Every, it seems like every Avenue leads to bigger problems and people criticize the NCAA so long for just trying to keep the genie in the bottle, trying to keep that all stuffed up because they were kind of right. Once it comes out, it just goes everywhere. And it's a giant mess. And how to clean it up is unknown. And I would listen to a lot of different theories and a lot of different ideas because none of them seem like a slam dunk, but something has to be done. And I, I wish I was smart enough to figure it out. Yeah, let's just let's talk about how how messed up this is. Let me let me read some quarterbacks in the NFL and their annual salaries and compare that to the reported thirteen million dollar deal. Uh, if you haven't paid attention to deals across the NAL landscape, the report for most of the top ten quarterbacks is something between six and ten million. And maybe Rashad has a seven or eight million and not 13, right? Whatever. The point is, that's the number. And that's a total package deal, not like a per year deal. But, you know, Jalen Hurts right now, starting the NFL, right? One of the best teams in the NFL. Great season. What do you think he's making per year? Not a lot because he's a second round pick. Right. 1.5 million. Mm-hmm. 1.5 million. This is a guy who was a, right, a stalwart of college football. How about Kyle Trask? What do you think he's making? He hadn't seen the field yet. I hadn't played it all. What's he making? 900000 Yeah, right. Close. $1.3 million. How about Joe Burrow? How about Joe Burrow in the Super Bowl, right? Well-known guy. What do you think his image and likeness is like? Do you think people know Joe Burrow more than they know Rashada? Who do you think they know more of? Joe Burrow makes $9 million. It's a lot of money. $9 million a year. How about Justin Herbert? Pretty good quarterback in the playoffs. Pretty solid. $6.6 mm-hmm. So Rashada could come to Florida, make $13 million as a guaranteed, who knows, no one has seen these contracts. But this is a colossal joke. How many five-stars don't make the NFL, Alan, that are quarterbacks, right? How many guys like Rashad, don't even, he's not even a five-star. He's not even the, the top five guy. Yeah, you look at a list of these crazy. guys. crazy. And then you for every you know Justin Herbert, Trevor Lawrence, you have three guys that you never heard of because they got put somewhere and you know, signed somewhere and never saw the field. So it's crazy making. I mean, I 
and again, it you are worth what the market will pay you. I'm a firm believer of that. Uh, but at the same time, <laughs> it's a crazy thing that you'd have to compete, do that and compete at that level. And so I'm not really big on restricting people's earnings, but the way this has to be, it's supposed to not be a black market, but it still has to be a black market because the way they're structuring their deals is not the way NIL was intended. Well, and that's the bottom line is this actually creates, I'm going to go back to the analogy I, I said earlier, is this is like a <coughs> museum that is paying for art. Mm-hmm. And there's no competition. You don't compete with each other. It's just, hey, if your museum curator wants that art the most, they bid it up the most and they, they acquire it. Uh, and they hope they make money back from their patrons coming to the museum. In the NFL, it's an actual marketplace. Obviously, you have restrictions on what you can spend, right? But in the NFL, simple example, the reason these contracts are the way they are is because no one can afford to pay their backup quarterback a bazillion dollars or a guy like Brock Purdy, who was a late-round draft pick, right? He's getting paid a million dollars a year. And now he's leading the 49ers in as one of the favorites to win the Super Bowl. But those guys have already earned it by starting in college, by becoming really good players in college. These are high school players. In baseball, where you do not have a salary cap, they pay young guys to come play all the time. They're not paying them this kind of money. Why? Because the risk is too great, right? Right. So you're in a scenario, to your point, Alan, where you have boosters and you have collectives and you have people that want their college teams to win so badly that they're all bidding up these art pieces. And the reality is they may not be art at all. Yeah, this is tough because I... I don't know about what I would actually want to put in place to to limit things because the reason that you know they NFL and the, and the owners negotiate salary caps and contract structures because they can't help themselves. They can't stop themselves from spending too much money, and that's a weird thing. Like you have to legislate against yourself, but that is kind of where college football needs to be as well. Uh, and I don't know how we get there. Well, and obviously it's not just that, right? It, you have two models. You have the European soccer model, which I actually favor. It's, oddly enough, it's really funny to me that the European sports are way more free market than American sports are. But these are there are two ways to do it. One is salary cap. And the reason you do a salary cap is because your goal, A, is you want the teams in your league to all be able to compete with each other. That's important. That mm-hmm. is a better product. You don't want to price Green Bay out because Green Bay can't spend what New York can spend, right? But also, B it does actually create a game of skill. When you win the Super Bowl in the NFL, you can pat yourself on the back. You navigated everything really, really well because you could not spend more money than someone else. In fact, in Formula One racing right now, they're trying to do something similar because it's not great for the sport if Mercedes just outspends everyone by a gazillion dollars and they win. That's not exciting. Mm -hmm. Are they even the best? We don't really know. We'd know they're the best if they had the same budget everyone else had. But in European soccer, you can spend whatever you want. That's why people are clamoring up to being bought by the Middle Eastern countries, the Saudis, the Qatarians, because they will spend unlimited amounts of money. But we talked about this last time, Alan. They'll spend it, but if they want to acquire one of our players here in Gainesville FC, they have to they have to give us transfer money, maybe $100 million. Well, that might be our entire budget for 10 years. So it's willing for us to develop a guy who we bought for a million, sell him for a hundred million. Now our organization levels up. There's a market incentive there. None of those things are going on in college football, not a salary cap, nor this one. Either one of them works. Someone's going to get into a room and create one of those paths. But if it is the European soccer path, even a guy like Messi, 
who was marked as a 12-year-old, as a can't-miss kind of guy, was not getting paid $13 million when he still hadn't begun to prove it versus other good competition. And that's my whole thing. So not only have we created... You know, we've created a me first mindset with these high school athletes. We've created a massive amount of entitlement. We've created really a structure where they feel like they have earned something because they're being paid that way. But the the sick reality is, Alan, they actually haven't proven anything yet. All they've proven is they have talent, but they haven't even entered the real world of competition yet. And so it really, I think it's just a really bad system, not only for the player, it sets them up for potentially a really big downfall but also for their families and for everyone else involved. And again, we have models that are out there and they work. It's harder because college football has all of these different interests and conferences. But the bottom line is take the models that work, tweak them some if you want to make it fit, but that's what's got to be done. And until then, I'm just not going to like it. I like our game less. I like seeing what our players are doing less. I don't like seeing 2,000 players in the transfer portal. I don't like seeing no loyalty. I don't like seeing people not playing for each other. It's anti-team behavior. And I personally just don't like it. And perhaps others do. You know, my opinion is I just don't like this. It's not endearing. It's not enchanting. It's not a team sport. It's not an all for one mentality. It's an all for themselves, all for myself, all for whatever's best for me. And that's not based upon money. Again, you can make as much money as you want, have a contract, do whatever, but this stuff's got to get fixed. And for now, Florida has been on the rough end of this the entire time with Ruiz sniping our players. And now it looks really bad given what's gone on here with this, with just how it was handled with Rashada. And I want to end with that. It just seems like there's a lot of unknowns, like what happened with this contract and how did it get signed and who signed it and why did we not know about it and where's the oversight and what's happening? And so perhaps Florida's been a little bit asleep at the wheel with their control procedures over NIL, right? Perhaps they should have put someone in charge. Allen's going to be in charge of NIL contracts. Every NIL contract comes through Allen. I don't care if it's a collective, if it's BD Inc., if it's all the whatever it is. Your contract comes through Allen and he makes sure that junk is good and right so we don't have rogue stuff going on. That would have made sense. It just seems like there's been a lack of institutional yeah. control. And I don't know if is allowed to do that. And I don't know either. And that's the whole thing, right? So it's like whatever's happening, it's not good for us. It's a bad look for football in general. And to your point, there's a reason why seemingly everyone in college football wants this to be fixed. It is broken. It is not working. They got to do something about it. They're going to lose fans, I think, each and every year until they do so. Okay. Hopefully this gets resolved. In the hour that we're recording this, and Jaden Rashada ends up at UF, but who knows? Uh, I think Florida will survive this. You know, it's it might make it bumpier. I don't know if, what this pretends for the future of NIL, but um, it's not good. Okay, players in the portal. Let's give a little update here. We'll talk most about the players we got, but um, a few updates: Trent Woodmore goes to UCF. Naquan Wright goes to Georgia Tech. You said Mugerbill goes to Colorado and maybe most notably Michael Tarkin goes to USC and that's Southern Cal. That one stings. Both Tarquin and Ethan White ended up in the portal since last we recorded. I seemingly surprisingly, if you got a guy like Tarquin who has played that many snaps in the SEC and the offensive line, you're going to get a lot of attention really quickly. That's a big pickup for USC you know, he's not a premier player, but he's definitely probably above what they have on their depth chart right now. And you know what? He's been here a while, gets to go play in Southern Cal. That's probably fine for him. Um, but yeah, it's a tough one for Florida. And a few guys still unknown. 
the most notable one, notable one by far is still Ethan White. Um, not transferred anywhere, still sitting in the portal. I don't know if his return is possible. But if I were the coaching staff, I would try to get him back out of the portal and back onto campus because Florida could really use him. Tarquin, yeah, I mean, these are starting offensive linemen in the right. SEC, right? And why they left is is up to them. It seems like a lot of people are saying it's just simply money. If you find yourself as a starter in the SEC and you're, you miss the NIL era, in come the recruits beneath you that are going to play behind you. They're not better than you, and they're getting paid money, and you're not getting paid as much money. So what do you do? You become a free agent, right? Same thing you do in the NFL. You become a free agent, and with free agency, you're able to see what people will bid for you. Will Florida match your offer? If not, I'm leaving. Whatever the case may be, it could be other things as well. But, Alan, you've always said something about commitment. We've said it before in the podcast. But I want to make one more comment here. A lot of people in our society today think that it's just obvious to follow the highest amount of money somebody will offer you, and that's the, quote, best thing to do for your family. Well, I got I got a better offer, therefore I did, quote, the best thing for my family. So there's some material benefit in leaving and taking a higher-paying job, and sometimes that is the best thing to do. But there's also something really important to be said as a human being about finishing what you start, about working together to build something, even if that means that your end result is not winning a national title. And I would argue, and Alan, you can give your quote, I'm going to tee up for it, but you know, it, it's the, it's the reality that like, if you're just always a free agent in life, if you're, if you view yourself as a, as a mercenary, as a free agent, you will never have roots and depth. You'll never be connected to any place you are. And when I see all these recruits, right, I'm transferring from XYZ school, but you know, go big blue forever. Or I'm a Gator forever. No, you are not forever. That that's your, that's a farce. You're kidding yourself, right? That's not what you are. Like you and I, Alan, we're Gators forever. We graduated from UF, undergrad, grad school, et cetera. Like we didn't go somewhere else in the middle of our process and say, hey, man, I love Florida. I'm all about them forever. This is great. They're my boys. But they're not. Like you actively chose something else. And again, that can be okay. But this idea that it's always best to just chase a dollar is going to leave a lot of these people, I think, looking back at their life and thinking, you know, if I'd have done that again, perhaps I wouldn't have just chased the highest bidder for everything I did. Perhaps I wouldn't have just been a free agent everywhere I went because then you're always an outsider. You never have anything built on the inside. And that's just, it's it's a very unfortunate thing. I've seen a lot of pro quarterbacks, especially been opining on this more recently about their college experience and would they have liked it in the NIL era? And the overwhelming response is generally no. What they look back on was this uh, this time of unity, of of connection, of bonding, and would they have wanted some money? Sure, but the idea that everyone sort of does what they want to do on their own is is, is a very unromantic football notion. It's it's a very non committed notion. So yeah, to speak. The, and the quote you're looking for for me is low commitment never yields high satisfaction, and I think that's really true. And I think I I counsel a lot of college students, you know, when you're looking at offers from various jobs, is like discount the money almost entirely. They're probably all going to be pretty close. Don't go somewhere because they're paying you $8,000 more a year. If it's not the company you like and the city you want to live in, the people you want to live around, you would trade at $8,000 instantly. Um, and yeah, chasing the dollar. It's just always, these quotes always seem disingenuous too. And these guys go, how much is it? And I a factor in your recruitment. It's like, oh, none. It's like, I, I just don't know if I believe you. Now you take a guy like Tarquin. He's been here a while. This is not the staff that recruited him. I don't. I'm not going to fry him for this by any means, you know, or any of these guys. They they all might have good reasons. We're taking on transfers, so you don't want to be hypocritical about that. But 
just I think it's a good there's it's a good check and it's hard when you're that age to understand that. So we can probably enough preaching or opining from us, but yeah, yeah it's a, it's not the best system for these guys either. No. And that's a, that's a, not a commentary on any one player because individually there could be moments where that makes a lot of sense, mm-hmm. right? We're talking structurally when you have 2000 guys in a transfer portal and everyone doing what they're doing systemically, it's not good. Individually, there are situations where, of course, that is good, and that can be beneficial, true, with the job situations as well. But it, it does seem to be breeding, again, something that's really not not as good for any of the people involved when it comes to non-material benefits. That's what I want to say. Okay, let's take a, take a look at the guys we got out of the portal. Um, we've already talked about Graham Mertz and Caleb Banks. But four new guys, um, Taraja Mitchell, linebacker from Ohio State. It was rumored, finally that was official. Cameron Jackson, defensive tackle from Memphis. Micah Mascua, guard from Baylor. Deuce Spurlock, linebacker from Michigan. Uh, none of these are extremely high profile, but I think especially the offensive and defensive linemen are huge for Florida. Again, I don't, I did not watch any Memphis games. I have no idea who Cameron Jackson is. But seemingly the player profile and his production and the amount of interest that seems like a huge uh, transfer portal win for Florida. And Mascua, the guard from Baylor, Florida's desperate along the offensive line. This is a guy who's played a lot of snaps. Again, I was not watching Baylor's guards this year. Uh, But if you got a guy who can come in and play and give you some depth, I think that's a huge thing. And linebackers, Florida's desperate for linebackers. These are two guys who are not, not played a lot in Spurlock and Mitchell, but if they can come in and at least be depth pieces for Florida, I think that's a win as well. They've at least got a lot of experience, especially Mitchell, uh, you know, five years of coaching at Ohio state. That's, that's going to be helpful. Uh, Florida now Allen ranks 30th in their transfer portal class, Florida state number one, they've been crushing it. Number one, Colorado, number three with Dion taking a hundred guys basically. And then LSU at number five. So if you were hoping like, I was, I'm, I'm, it's fair to say this. I was hoping Florida would be ranked higher in the transfer portal, given our need and given what next year is looking like. We're not there right now. Yeah. this is hard. Cause I, again, we're not scouting players just like we're not scouting high school players. So we're relying on other people to give us this kind of info. Of course, we'll have to see how these guys perform in a Florida uniform. And there's could be a lot of these guys in LSU or FSU's class that suck and don't do anything for them. But man, uh, I, I, Subscribe to the Athletic, and they have their list of top twenty-five guys in the portal. And it seems like every announcement is from FSU grabbing one of those guys. So, at least the seemingly sought-after players they're grabbing, and the guys they took last year—you know, Johnny Wilson, Jared Verse—were really highly productive. So, obviously, they've got something going on, at least a promising trajectory. And yeah, they're not recruiting high school all that well, but they've been killing it in the portal, and that's going to make things way tougher for Florida. Any other thoughts on portal acquisitions here? Disappointed. I'm just disappointed with what's been what's been going on here. You know, obviously, uh, it's it's not. I, I have a hard time finding a way to say it's good. Mm-hmm. I think you really have to spin a lot of things right now for for Billy's first overall year to make a lot of sense when it comes to roster building uh, when it comes to on-field stuff. I think the recruiting thing, I give him a heavy pass for high school-wise because I think NIL is unfortunately taken away from him. It would have been a top three class. So I give him a gold star for that. And those are situations beyond his control. But the transfer portal is well within your control. 
And the NIL deals for a lot of these guys are seemingly not through the roof. And why we're not getting more of them when it looks like we're staring down the face of a five or six win season next year is something that I would love for him to come on the podcast and educate me on so I could feel better about it, but I don't feel good about it. No, it, and it's been long enough now that it's troubling. Now, Florida, it's not done. Florida could still have a nice haul, but it's probably not going to be like a gold star haul, like where you're looking at this and everyone's like, yeah, I'm Florida really cleaned up in the transfer portal. And, you know, you, you'd never want to be at a point where you're like having to load up in the transfer portal because that means your roster is not in healthy shape. You want to be where you're taking two or three guys. So you're never going to get like, oh, you did the best in the portal. But you would like all three of those guys to fit needs and be top players. So I, I don't mind being selective in the portal. I, that's not the goal is to be like the portal king every year. But for where Florida is and we still have, what, seven, eight, maybe more spots that we could fill if, if other guys transfer out that looked like we could have done more earlier on. Again, there's still time to, to solidify it, but it's not a good trajectory currently. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. All right. Uh, other recruiting news. Jump down here and do this. Uh, Florida took another commitment. Um, three-star offensive tackle, Caden Jones, ranked for 93. Florida's big need for offensive tackle in this class Seemingly one of the better ones out there. Um, you know, decent amount of competition for him, seemingly. So this is a this is good for the class. And again, offensive linemen outside the guys who are seemingly just the best five star guy, they're don't get too high or too low on their rating. This is not a guy who's in the thousands. This is still a guy that could play. All these guys are projections anyway, because of where they come from from high school. So if the staff likes him a lot, I think this is good for Florida. Yeah, for sure. And also this goes into the comment. Some people have made, I saw, you know, on our Twitter and on the Sammy too, people have posted a more normalized 
average recruiting ranking. So if we actually had three or four more guys, right, or six more guys, or you can equate a class like Georgia who's got, you know, let's say I'm going to make this up, 27 guys and we have 21 guys, here's our average player rating. But you have to add six more guys to Florida's class to then get your actual right kind of average player rating. Maybe. So. So maybe we could have added, you know, theoretically, let's say six more guys to equal them. But it's a way to normalize the results so you don't have numbers factoring in. If, if you know, if USC takes 10 guys and we take 20 guys, how do you figure out what the actual kind of normative result is? And, and some of this is true. If we took four more guys that were three star offensive players uh, on the offensive line, that could be really important for us. Those guys often try to be great NFL players, but it would drop our recruiting rankings down. This is just one more little reason why, again, we use the tier system is you can get too granular with that stuff. Like a 92.21 is fifth and a 91.75 is 10th. That's often immaterial, you know, so this is a good pickup for Florida. We need depth at offensive line. And obviously this is a guy they think that, you know, can play well with. And again, on the offensive line, that's maybe where Napier has been best as a staff throughout time, identifying talent there. So yeah, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. That this guy at least has the potential to play correct. at a school yep. like Florida. Agreed. All right, some coaching carousel news, and there's obviously more out there, but we want to mention these two things. Uh, Bobby Petrino to Texas A&M, and Garrett Riley, the OC at TCU, heavily, heavily rumored to be going to Clemson. Basically, people are reporting it without it being a done deal, but um, Daba did fire his current OC, Streeter. So this is something you've been calling for. Uh, for Billy Napier to hire an offensive coordinator. I mean, Dabo Swinney's not an OC, so this is a different, this is him, just him upgrading with a guy who was very successful at TCU, Lincoln Riley's little brother. So obviously a pedigree there. But uh, Jimbo finally caving in and hiring Bobby Petrino, which seems wild, but when I think about it, is maybe a good fit. I mean, it seems like a good fit with those two jokers together. I know that staff is like this crazy man. Not that's just a bunch of ego maniacs. Yeah, it seems like they might not work together well. But, you know, the reality of it is, what do we see here? You see Ryan Day as well, hinting at the fact that he may step down from play calling duties. Mm -hmm. You're continuing to see the move that we've highlighted. And look, if you want to be the only one at the dance that's dancing your dance, you better be the best at it. And you better be the one people look at and think, I want to dance like that guy. I think Billy Napier is going to be the one left holding the cards when everyone says, why are you the only one doing it this way? And, oh, your results are not that good. And that's not a good place to be. You don't want to be an outlier when you're not a genius or a savant or a superstar. That's not what you want to be. And until proven otherwise, I'm going to have to just assume that Billy Napier is very stubborn about his desire to have too many hats on the offensive side of the football field with something that he's particularly not great at historically. And Dabo, I want to say this about Dabo, Dabo time and time again makes really hard decisions. And I always like the quotes that he gives. Streeter is a Clemson guy, played there, has worked there for 15 years, has been there with Dabo from the beginning. He rises all the way up, gets the big job, gets fired. Dabo says, hey, obviously really hard to fire this guy. My job is to make sure I get peak performance out of every unit that I have. Now you bring in a rising superstar in Garrett Riley. That's the kind of people that Billy Napier is competing with. That's who you're competing with. People that are going to keep hiring who they perceive to be the best talent 
So perhaps Patrick, Tony, and then you as Billy Napier are the best guys at that spot. We're going to find out, but we're also going to find out if Napier is willing to do what it takes to win. And I give Dabo credit. Dabo has never, ever thought that his gift as a coach were X's and O's based schematic things. He's never thought that. It's one reason why he's successful. Kirby Smart, who is a very gifted X's and O's defensive coach, is not the defensive coordinator. So again, things to take stock for. But I love this hire for Clemson. I think it shows your fan base you're serious about winning. You're not just going to be loyal to a guy who probably deserves loyalty. He's a Clemson guy through and through. But your commitment is to do what's best for your players, your organization, and the school, even when it's really really hard. And for A&M, that feels like a gun to the head to Jimbo. Like, hey, listen, we're paying you a lot of money. You got a huge buyout. You're at least going to listen to us and do something different here. We're going to bring the devil in to see if he can't run the offense and win some stuff. And you know, Petrino's really good at coordinating offense. So we'll see if that works. Yeah. I mean, the Clemson thing, Dabo is like the opposite of reactionary. He is, he's going to do what he thinks is best and he's slow moving and he is loyal, but he will ultimately do what he thinks is best, right? So, I mean, and if you're Napier, if you're like in the Dabo school, I mean, it, it probably happened a little bit later, you know, that you're going to play out what you think you want to do. And, you know, I think for Billy, at least what he showed thus far, that this, again, this skill set isn't core to who he is as a coach. Now, if you're Dan Mullen, you take away the play calling from yourself, you've probably reduced your value by quite a bit. Um, Billy, I don't know if it reduces his value at all. Like he can find someone who could at least replicate what he's doing, which will allow him to focus in more on the other parts of the organization that need attention. And I think that's what we're saying. It's not that he's like a disaster as an OC necessarily. He's been successful. Like he's been more successful than the vast majority of people who never climbed to his like station. But could someone else approximate what you're doing that'll allow you to have more freedom? The Petrino thing, it is feels scuzzy because he feels like a scuzzy character. But you know what? He doesn't have to recruit. Usually his programs fail because the further he gets away from the previous regime's players, the more broken his program is. And he eventually has to eject. But talk about a guy who will fit players to what he wants to do rather than fit. Well, excuse me. He'll fit his system to what his players can do rather than the other way around. You think about his offenses with uh, at Louisville. I mean, vast array of people, classic drop back quarterbacks to Lamar Jackson, very successful almost everywhere he's been at every time. If Jimbo gives him to the the freedom to actually design this offense and run it, I I think they could be really dangerous next year. This was a really great hire. And he might only be there for a year. If he comes in and has a you know top ten offense with Texas AM, someone else is going to hire him to do something else, I think. Uh that would be a mistake in my eyes, but yeah, this is a win-win. And, you know, I think he actually has the persona where he can push back on Jimbo. Where if you hire a guy who's young and up and coming, can you really speak back to Jimbo? Probably not. But Bob Petrino is not going to care about that. So it checks all the boxes for them. I mean, he's a shady dude. But all the in all the other ways, this is the profile of a guy you're probably looking for. Yeah, and A&M is like the soap opera team now of college right, football. Totally. You've got the big oil money backing you. You know, it's like days of our lives or something. You've got you've got the entrenched national championship coach who has not had a lot of success recently, whose complicated offense isn't working. Then you bring in the very checkered past, questionable character guy and Bobby Petrino, and you have a mixture for a daytime Emmy winning show, I'm sure. Okay. Let's let's wrap up with a few questions here. At least the Gator segment here. Um 
What's the biggest concern for you overall inside the program or surrounding the program maybe? The answer has to be talent acquisition because I, I say it every single season. That means the most. It matters more than anything else. Mm-hmm. You can be the best coach in the world. If you don't have the talent, you cannot win. And we we rightfully so are sitting on the fence line as to whether or not Billy is going to be able to get enough talent. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. But with each troubling story that occurs, whether it's NIL or John Marie's or whatever, but enough of these things keep falling against you, then you get to the end of year three recruiting wise and you say, we're still not there yet. And then you have to start holding on to hope that generally has not played through. So talent acquisition even though I think he's best at that right now, that's always the biggest concern for me because you have to get that. Outside of that, it's the things that we keep mentioning. I'm I'm definitely concerned with the football side of things. They were not what I thought they were going to be. On film, we didn't see the progress I thought we were going to see. Schematically, I saw things that I do not love. And I haven't heard anything about... I haven't heard he's entrenched. He hasn't come out and said... I'm never not going to do this, but I also haven't seen any ruminations of maybe changing. And I think this year is going to answer a lot of those questions. I'm going to sit here this time next year, and I'm either going to be totally distraught because it's like, oh no, he's hardlined. Here's where we are. We had a six win season. There's no hope for the future. We're done. Or there's an evaluation period. Things look rosier. Recruiting is solid. We got better on the field. Maybe he's looking at hiring. Whatever. Things happen where it's like, okay, your three can be great. Your four can be amazing, right? So this is a really weird spot to be in. More unknowns than we had, I think, entering into the Billy Napier year. College football is more complicated. And the overall concern is, are we going to be better off as a football program a year or two from now? Right. This is what's hard about year two is the projections don't look all that rosy in terms of the talent. Now, again, the team could come together and win a lot more of these close games and end up eight and four, nine and three. And we feel good about it. But I think you're staring at the face of another six win season. Potentially there's nothing about the, this year's team talent wise that would suggest it would lift it. Now, again, better culture, more established in the program, in the system, all those need to be factored in, but uh, year two at at that level of performance is extremely troubling. Like if you're a program builder, you need to ratchet it up in year two. You don't need to peak in year two necessarily, but you need to move it up. And if that doesn't happen, there's going to be so much noise in the system that it might deflate whatever thing you're trying to build heading into year three and four. Um, so that's my concern. There needs to be better production on the field. This team needs to be appreciably better, even if it's missing the star power to like beat a Georgia or beat an Alabama, you know, but that a six and six season is going to be brutal. It's going to be just a really bad vibe, a really bad atmosphere. And that's what's likely. And I'm prepared for it. And like we talked about, I think Billy's all in on year three. And I think that's where some of this news is becoming more troubling. If you lose Rashada, yes, you potentially have Lagway. We're way far away from mm-hmm. this, right? 
But now you know that you're rolling with Mertz and Jack Miller. You don't ha- now you're in trouble. You're really in trouble. You're talking about another transfer quarterback the year Lagway comes in. I mean, you, now you're now you're kind of I don't want to say it, but you're kind of dead because if you're telling Strickland I got a three to four year plan, and now you lose a young talented high school quarterback, and you're filling your teams with transfer guys. Maybe you land a huge one, but you're really increasing the risk you have and control you have over your own future as a program builder those are your foundational building blocks it's why the team's been all in on spending so much money on quarterback because they feel like that's their cornerstone so i have to imagine behind closed doors he's very concerned with the rashada situation even though of course if we don't get him he's going to be like look it's fine life will go on and that is more or less true but again this is a critical roster build here right now and if you whiff on that your solution is a random transfer market and you just don't know what right. that looks like. You do know what Rashada looks like. You've scouted him. You liked him. You think he can fulfill a role. You can envision what's going to happen. You can see the bridge to lagway perhaps or whatever else you start getting the dominoes going. So there's a lot to be concerned about right now as Florida fans. It's very frustrating. I think uh, it's a three-year test for a reason. It could turn around, right? But as we stand right now, it has not been a lot of pleasurable and fun news. It seems to be like we get right there things seem to be like they're going to be amazing. And then the rug gets pulled out from underneath us over and over and over again. Yeah. And the talent acquisition is, is real because as you said, at certain positions, if you create enough holes for yourself, you reduce your margin down so low that you're basically like to use poker analogy, you're drawing like with hope. You're not the favored person to win uh, the hand and you might pull it out of your butt, but that's not most likely I, I don't want to get too crazy on this, right? Because there's a, there's a decent scenario where this team is very together, very successful, and looks good on the field, and they win eight games and look good doing it. That That's not out of the picture. Um, so I don't want to totally just freak out right now. And again, Rashada could be signed in an hour, and things could look a lot different, but just – this little snapshot right here shows you how tenuous it is. It's tenuous. That's exactly right. We don't have the margin for error the other programs have, and we're not showing the the sort of like stratospheric uptick you want to see. But again, I think all that was deferred to your three for Billy. So we're going to yeah. give him time. There's no. I'm not panicked because I don't understand panicking as a fan. We have no control. Mm-hmm. The listener, you don't have control. I don't have control. Alan doesn't have control. So we just observe and analyze. But. I'm not going to panic because it doesn't matter. Like, right. right. We'll come to the point where we say, look, it's untenable. You have to cut ways or do this. But right now you just, you sit back and you watch and you hope that the guys who are getting paid to the job, figure out a way to do it the right way. Right. And, and I do think this recruiting class probably is undersold, right? If you look at, I like that average player ranking. It shows you the type of person they're bringing in the caliber of player, at least rating wise, that would suggest a high recruiting like rate, right? That, um, you add on a, another five star, all, all of a sudden you're right there. And I think the class they brought in is is probably undervalued or underrated because it's missing that top tier thing. But if you rank them differently, yeah, number five that that tells a way different story. And I think that's worth mentioning. Okay. Yeah, for sure. And we felt that way. Yeah. We we encapsulated that in the recruiting episode. I I do think that's been his best thing. But like we said, it can be your best thing. You still have to get it to be the thing. Mm -hmm. And that looks promising, but we're not there yet. And again, when you compete in the same conference, Texas A&M, Alabama, Georgia, 
LSU. Those are four teams every single year that are seemingly going to out recruit you unless something And you're about to add Texas happens. and Oklahoma. And then you're going to get those. And this is this is it. This is the window. If we don't get the ball rolling now, eventually coaches that are in this is one reason why the three year tests work, by the way. Eventually when you're in year three and you're in year four and you haven't done it yet, it's really probably impossible for you to get that shine going with recruits. They kind of slot you. This is your level. This is where you're at. You're no longer ascending. You're just kind of a guy. And that's why it's so important to get it going. And I know Billy knows that. And you know, the class twenty twenty four is looking nice to early start. But either way, things to pay attention to. All right. Maybe position group most worried about right now. I'm going to mention the offensive line. That I try to do my own little uh, too deep. Uh, there's a lot of positions that are are rough. That's what I think gives people pause. But you look at the offensive line. I couldn't even really name five starters. Um, Mascua, if he can come in and play right away, that that certainly helps that. But I don't. I don't even know who you play at right tackle right now. And that that's troubling. Now, maybe there's some guys who are going to be fine, but that's a huge concern. And then the other one was wide receiver. I mean, there's really like the freshman, but if Pearsall doesn't come back, that that is potentially a giant hole for this team as well. And, you know, the defense obviously had a lot of awards last year. You don't know how much you trust any of those guys, but those are two giant potential holes that if they could bring in some more dudes in the portal, I, I think that would really do well for them. I think the O-line's the biggest concern because, you know, mm-hmm. the reality is with with freshman wide receivers, you can get it done you if can, you have I a mean, good O-line. It, it's going to be suboptimal, but I'm looking yeah. at, like, order of importance. Mm-hmm. If you have a guy who's got what it takes athletically, if you can buy time for the quarterback, you can make that work. The reverse is not true. That's great. If point. you have a, if you have an absolute, you know, sieve as an offensive line, I don't care who you have at wide receiver; it is not going to work. And that is obviously always the biggest concern. That is one reason why we were so high on Kyle Trask. What he did at Florida with a horrific offensive line was magical, and. Somehow, after having a year of of a nice offensive line, we're right back to a really bad situation where if Tarquin and White stayed, we would have been fine. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, are we going to be bottom of the SEC there? And if we are, what do we do on offense? An offense that doesn't have, again, what's the strength of running backs? Another reason why you need that O-line. Otherwise, the running backs are now worthless too. You've lost your best players. It's not. It just does not look pretty, obviously, projecting into next year, as you said, Alan. And if you can't create a depth chart, uh, that's not ideal in the SEC. It's just game. It's just names on the. Right. I have no idea who would actually but that's, play. That's just that's the crazy part, right? Yeah. That's never. You never want to be in that spot as an SEC football program, uh, and other schools, of course, are not in that spot that we're competing with. You know, that's not what's happening elsewhere. So, a lot of transition, a lot of stuff going on. I I'm fine. I'm totally fine, Alan, with the narrative that Dan Mullen's team was mentally and physically soft. We saw that on film. That's a reality and that the younger players are much tougher and they're buying into it. I'm cool with all of that, but I also know that you can have the best training program and you can have the the greatest culture. But if you don't have the guys that are talented enough, you have a unified team that loves each other and plays hard and just doesn't get enough wins. That's also a reality, but time will tell. So I wanted to bring up something I think that gets conflated. Um, We're bringing up a lot of concerns and our overall tone is one of like trepidation here. 
or just concern. That when we do that, I don't think that means we're calling for Billy Napier to be fired. I, I watch a conversation on one of our football threads where people bring up concerns. It's like, what you, what are you supposed to think or what's going to happen? You have to give them more time. It's like, I don't, those two things aren't equal or say this is troubling means I'm going to fire him tomorrow because I, there's all these troubling things. It's noting the trajectory certainly, but I don't think either of us would, if you're giving us a choice right now, would fire Billy Napier. Not even close, but there's just a lot of difficulty ahead and there has to be some course corrections made and has, there just has to be some wins on the recruiting trail and on the field to, to get to where he wants to go. And I think he would acknowledge that as well. Um, so yes, not if you're hearing concerns in like heightened level of, man, I'm not sure what's going on right now or we need to make changes. That's not like, okay, now we've come down on the side of firing him. Yeah, that's super well said. That's a great point, and I'm glad you said that. Like, our job on the podcast is to be analytical and, of course, to share our opinions, right? Analysis is not – it's not deductive reasoning. It's not always true or always false. It's not something like that. And, of course, all of you know that, but it bears saying it on the podcast. We state our opinions rather definitively because there are opinions – but we're just analyzing what we think the scenario is. And we're raising concerns that I would raise if I was on the staff or if I was the head coach, I'd raise to myself. Hey, I've got to, I've got to address, I have to figure this out. This is going to cause me not to be successful. And that is what we try to do. But again, that's very different than saying we've weighed all the available data and evidence. And we think that moving on is the best bet. That's definitely not what we're saying. In fact, the only person we said you could make that case for uh, was really Patrick Tony, and then perhaps, of course, our linebackers coach. Those were two cases that could have been made. But you can also make a case to give them one more year if you're the head coach and you believe that what they're doing is correct, which we acknowledge. So, yeah, our job is to bring up the concerns. And, of course, we will weigh in, as we have before, and we think this guy's got to go on. But right now it's a whole lot of concerns and not necessarily fire this person or that person, even in the case of Patrick Tony, where we kind of gave you the case on both sides. Uh, depending on how you look at it, but the data eventually will get to be, you know, voluminous enough where we can say for sure, Hey, look, this is not going in the right direction. And then something should be done. All right. Hello, fresh America's most popular meal kit. Hard segue right to this. Uh, it is the new year, which is great. And new year is time for new year's resolutions, new meals, perhaps a better version of yourself, if you will. And you can use hello fresh to help achieve that. You can make their meals, quite efficiently, quite easily with farm fresh pre-proportioned ingredients and recipes delivered right to your doorstep. You could essentially never go to the grocery store again by using HelloFresh. It's also fun, easy, and affordable. And that is why, of course, it's America's number one meal kit. If you want 18 free meals from HelloFresh, go to hellofresh.com slash GNFP18 and use our code GNFP18. That's HelloFresh.com slash GNFP18. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, one coaching corner here from Jeremiah. Clemson game. Back to Clemson, Tennessee. Tennessee gets it done. Big win over Clemson with Milton at quarterback, proving Tennessee is more than just hooker, which we said, right? Great system. They can run this. A lot of people, I look forward to seeing what they do with better quarterbacks, I think, down the road. But Clemson is down 28-14 with six minutes left, Allen. 28-14, six minutes left. Clemson has a fourth and 10 on their own five-yard line. Jeremiah was thinking they had to go for it in this situation rather than punt. However, Greg McElroy chimes in saying it's almost impossible to justify going for that fourth down there. You are gift wrapping the game for Tennessee if you go for it and you don't get it. What is your thought here if you're the coach? You're down 14 with six minutes left. It's fourth down and 10. Are you punting or are you going for it? I'm definitely punting here because I think McElroy has a point here that if you don't get it, you're probably icing the game. Um, although in move the metrics a little bit, I hate when people punt, when punting basically takes their win rate down to almost zero, that you have to like be more aggressive. Fourth and 10 at your own five with six minutes. If it was under six minutes, if it was like three minutes, I'm definitely going for it. But six minutes might be enough time to do a miracle. I think you're just reducing your odds of winning by going for it there. Yeah. And let's unpack this just for a second more here, Jeremiah, to kind of give you the variables I'm thinking about. So one, how many timeouts do I have left to be the first thing? Let's say I have three timeouts left. I can punt the ball and let's say I punt it to their 40. That's optimal. I'm gonna go all optimal here, right? Conservative. I mean, uh, optimistic case. So they get the ball on the 40. I stop them three times in a row. It takes about two minutes and 15 seconds. If they just run it every time I get the ball back, with, let's say three 30 on my own 10, probably right. Best case scenario. I drive down the field, I score a touchdown, let's say with a minute and a half left. If I have all three timeouts left, I'm golden. Kick off, get a stop, score, overtime. That's 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 possible and even realistic to a certain degree, right? If I have no timeouts left, I'm in a lot of trouble. Now they run that same time off, I get the ball back. If I score, I cannot play defense anymore. I have to kick an onside kick. So to me, I'm going to answer this question entirely based upon where my timeouts are at. If I have none left, I'm going for it because I'm basically dead anyway. And if I'm McElroy, I'm already drawing dead. I almost There's no way I can even get there. And onside kicks are basically not going to happen. Right. If I have timeouts, I'm punting, knowing I'm way against the wall anyway. And I tell my defense, hey, if you don't get a stop right now on the first three downs, this game is over anyway. But I'd rather take my chances getting a three-down stop than a fourth and 10. My offense has only scored 14 points. I'm in the shadow of my own end zone. Not super great. Not a good choice here either way, but I think what I want to isolate here is for me, the timeouts are the key. And you mentioned they only had one timeout left. So in that case, I think I'd lean more towards going for that fourth and 10. However, uh, to Alan's point, I think that's very much a feel based upon game flow and what's going on. I guess for McElroy to say that it's impossible to justify it to me is completely wrong, yeah, that's especially really wrong. with one timeout left. I think it's very easy to justify. That's what I'm going to walk through right there justify the decision and i'd be happy with what the coach did either way as long as he did justify what the thinking was rather than just oh well you always punt in that situation yeah, i think if you're further out if you're if you're on your 35 
and fourth and 10, that upset, the, almost any change in those variables, I would go for it there. It That close where they're so likely to score a touchdown really like crushes you there. I, I don't know. It's it's a, obviously a terrible situation, but I'm almost always going for it. Punting and giving up possession, like late clock situations is always a bad idea. And also just like thinking that why why lose now when you could lose later is a really silly decision unless you have some math to back it up. Like mm-hmm. losing is losing. Sometimes you lose right then, fine, you lose. But you know you want to give yourself the best chance to win. All right, bowl game recap, Alan. I had a lead on you by a game. The rest of the bowl games happened, and you took me down by one game. Well done, congratulations. I may Thank have you. gotten TCU Wearing right, but I got a whole lot of other stuff wrong. You went twenty and twenty one. And I went 19 and 22. So we were negative in the regular season and we were negative versus the spread in bowl game. So basically fade our picks. Yeah. Well, I strategy. mean, in the bowl game, obviously I don't think there's a whole truckload of those that we would not have done. Had we like just done the games we had some kind of feeling for, I think we had a pretty decent record. Yeah. You think so? Because we did the playoff games and, uh, <laughs> you know, neither of us had Ohio state getting inside the Georgia spread. That's and true. the only reason I even had TCU was because I was just like, you know, what would be great is if TCU be Michigan because I don't want them to win. Right. So and that's we why you don't over. put a lot of money on anything. But right. I think in the large picture, we've done much better than. I like your optimism. For. I respect that. Now let's put your money where your mouth is. Cause mm. we both know a lot about the NFL. And the NFL playoffs are starting, and your Jags Let's go. are in the playoffs. They All are. of you Jags fans right now, you know, honk the horn if you're in the car. If you're with your significant other or family, somebody give a little go Jags. Uh, it's a big moment for all of you. Hosting you know. a playoff game. Unreal. Duval and all that stuff. I lived in Atlantic Beach for a couple of years. I get the vibe. I'm a Dolphins fan, but I get the vibe. And well, your team in. is in too. Don't you feel so My great about it? My team is only in in name only. <laughs> and they're about to get waxed. We'll talk about that. But we're going to do a little playoff picks. Okay. NFL playoff picks. Now, do you want to make bracket picks here, or do you want to just go for the the Super Bowl champion? What well, let's let's for just our purposes here. Let's pick the first round. I like it, and then we'll give our Super Bowl in. Why don't we just walk through it quickly? This will be fast. Okay, I'm gonna start. I'm gonna, I'm gonna lead through. Right, you have Jacksonville playing the Chargers. Justin Herbert is gets paid less than Rashada, presumably. Mm. Uh, Mike Williams is not playing in this game. I think they're a different team. This is like very coin flippy for me, but I'm going to just be a homer here and pick the Jags. Look, I like the Jags here. I think the Jags are going to get this done too. The Chargers have gotten healthy. They've gotten much better because they're healthy, but that's a big, big miss for them. I like the Jags. So we get the Jags advancing. Let's go Cincinnati at Baltimore. No Lamar Jackson Mm. for Baltimore. I think it's going to be closer than people think because Cincinnati's offensive line is in shambles, but I'll I'll take the Bengals here. Yeah, and and Baltimore can ratchet up Mm -hmm. their play. So I like the Bengals here as well. They're on fire. They've won a zillion games in a row, uh, even if their offensive line is still a train wreck. All right, Buffalo, the biggest favorite of the weekend. 13-point favorite over Miami with no Tua, no Teddy Bridgewater. They're starting, of course, their third-string quarterback who can barely throw the football. Skylar Thompson, what do you got here? Yeah, slide the bills on in, for sure. Yeah, uh, for sure. Miami was lucky to make the playoffs in the first place. Way downhill to a lot of concussions, unfortunate, but I got the bills here too. All right, so we're all in agreement there. Let's flip over to the NFC. The Bucks hosting the Cowboys. This felt like a slam dunk for Dallas this, like you know, a month ago because it seemed like this was going to be the matchup. I don't know. I, I don't like either team right now but i guess i'll take dallas question mark like i'm taking the bucks because i don't like either team either which means i'm gonna take the greatest quarterback of all time to play the game even on a very flawed team over dak prescott and the cowboys who seemingly specialize in laying an egg 
Minnesota versus the Giants. Very intriguing game mm-hmm. here, I feel like. This is probably the most intriguing game. Um, I don't think Minnesota is that great. But to totally write them off is disingenuous. The Giants, I mean, they're they're getting a lot out of just not a great roster right there. It feels like everybody is weighing in on the Giants, but I'm going to go counter there and pick Minnesota. I'm going to pick Minnesota too because oh. I think – I think that they have had enough luck or skill or whatever in winning close bizarre games. They're going to win one more before their their you know clock strikes midnight. All right, the red hot 49ers and Brock Purdy yes, taking my on, boy Brock Purdy a taking clone on the Seahawks. Dude, I love that story, Mr. Irrelevant. He's playing great. Fantastic. I'm I'm all in on Brock Purdy and the 49ers. Division game here. Any concern for you? Division no. games are tough. No. No, no. concern. No. Okay. Seahawks are trash. I have some concern. Pete Carroll's got magic. I think 49ers are much better, but still, big, big They've one. been fading. Like They have been, but I was going to say, Brock Purdy came out this week and made a pretty bold proclamation that playing in the NFL was perhaps easier than playing in college Ooh. to a certain degree. He qualified it, but players are he has better. so much talent, now there's pressure on him, but either way, you know, I'm just saying. Uh, I got San Francisco there too. All right, so we're in lockstep. We just picked the that shows that we're wow. gonna be way wrong. So yeah. already fade. All right, now we're in the second round. We have KC versus the Jags. Uh, I got Kansas City there. I mean, yeah, the Jags. They already beat the Jags. They're not ready for that. Yeah. This is a very favorable draw for KC. Mm. There's a lot of ways this could have shook out where I think maybe it was trickier. But of course, number one seed, ready to go to the spoils. Then we have Cincinnati and Buffalo. I mean, the AFC playoffs. Yeah, sensational. Buffalo team of destiny. I would have, them. if Cincinnati ever gets an offensive line, they feel like they're going to become the de facto AFC favorite because what Burrow does with Jamar Chase is absolutely outrageous, but they don't have it right now. And again, I feel like everyone's rooting for Buffalo. Mm-hmm. Buffalo is a rootable team anyway. They're like yes. a heartbreak hotel. And this is what I want to say, Alan, before I'm spoiling it some. It would be on brand for Buffalo not to win this year because yeah. that's what Buffalo does. It, it just destroys you. But I got Buffalo there as well advancing. So we have Casey and Buffalo in the AFC Championship, on the NFC side, we have I have the Eagles versus the Bucks, and I'm going to take the Eagles there, and you have the Eagles versus Dallas. Yeah, I don't game. love the Eagles right now, but I'll take them over the winner of that game for okay, sure. I love it. And then we have Minnesota versus the 49ers. I got the 49ers. Yes, please, for okay, sure. Pretty simple there. AFC Championship game. This is the game everybody wants to see. Neutral site in Atlanta, mm-hmm. Kansas City, Buffalo. Yeah, I'm just going to ride the Bills here. I, I think either of these teams could come out of that. It's very coin flippy for me, but I'll, I'll ride with the Bills. They changed the NFL playoff rules this year, yeah. in case you didn't know that. So if K, if KC scores a touchdown first, uh, Josh Allen and the Bills will get the ball with a chance to answer. So Whoa. that's a big change for the playoffs. I'm going to ride the Bills, too. Uh, again, they're a division opponent of Miami. For a long time, I really hated Buffalo, but they become more likable due to all the heartbreak they've had over time. And uh, I'd love to see them advance past KC, who obviously has won a lot. Other side of the bracket here, 49ers, Eagles. What do you got here? Oh, yeah, 49ers, man. I, Brock Purdy could have a rookie game somewhere along the way and mess this up. But I don't like the way this Eagles team is trending. Too many injuries at the wrong time. I think the injuries are the concern for the Eagles. I would have taken a healthier Eagles team here. One, home game. That's a big deal. Two, again, this is a rookie quarterback. It's very, very hard. But have you to seen their points this. per game? They have I know. Like hold almost on, doubled hold on. since he's been in. I know. I understand, but the play, it's just different. Like the magnification of what happens in these games, the defenses play differently. It's just a different thing entirely. But the Niners have the thing that matters, right? Which is a number one overall defense that can carry you through a close game. It can give your quarterback confidence not to turn the ball over, which is what he doesn't do. And that gives them a chance. And you know, Jalen Hurts in the 
playoffs last year got skunked. Correct. So and I was going to say to that too. That I was, it, yeah. that's what I was going to go secondarily. So, so it's an interesting matchup in general there. And for Shanahan, a guy who starts with Trey Lance, which I thought was very questionable, mm-hmm. goes to grapple and then finds himself a guy in Purdy. We'll see if it matches up. But I also like the Niners. So we're taking the taking the favorites mostly here. That gives us a Bills-Niners Super Bowl, which would be so much fun on every level. Yeah. Great storylines here across the board. Who are you taking in that one? Uh, team of Destiny. I'm going to go Bills. This is where it feels like I've got to take the heartbreak here and take the Niners because the Bills, That's that's just what they do they, yes. they leave you at right. the altar and i want them to win i think they they i think theoretically versus the niners there's a lot of good matchup things that occur for them but i just have to say until proven otherwise you should count on buffalo to to really leave you wanting yeah i think this is where maybe the the stage gets a little big for brock and doesn't play optimally you know the bills riding that wave of emotion there you go I love it. Either way, great times, great uh, great storylines in the NFL this playoff season. I'm looking forward to each and every moment. And all those guys get paid. So, again, it's not about money for me. All right, basketball update very quickly. Golden looked like he was bottoming out. Florida's roster, though, is a lot better than other teams in the SEC. If you watch the Vegas point spreads, we've been either favored or close with teams that have much better records than we do because of the schedule we played. Have we turned a corner? Two nice wins in a row. We beat Mike yeah. White, which was therapeutic. Then yes. we go on the road and we beat LSU, a guy that I had said was a better coaching hire, at least on the face of it, based upon recent history, success, etc. Golden had, I think, a higher potential ceiling. Golden gets a win there. That that's a that's that's a big he win. He needed I think. those so badly. And you know what? Now if you just look at SEC play, you basically have a shot to beat Auburn with a last second shot. Castleton's got the ball, it doesn't work out. Really, I think you're going to regret that A&M game, too. That was a very winnable game. And it seems like they found something going small a little bit. And we'll see how that trends moving forward. It's it's a different look for the team. Taking those Jatobo and Felder minutes and giving them more to Reeves and these other guys have created something nice there. And Myron Jones has basically gone from a guy who was a disaster every time he stepped on the court to playing some really nice minutes. We'll see if that can continue. I'm a little dubious about that, but maybe they can find some stuff from other guys they have on the roster as well. And I'm just glad you said that because one thing I already like with Golden is we see him trying so many mm-hmm. different actual basketball things. And that makes a difference. And I think he's tinkering and toying and changing things and he's getting results. He's getting better results. This team does not have a high ceiling, but at least they're maybe turning the corner on being entertaining as we head into March, which we can hope for. But this is that was a, a mega stretch for Florida this past week and a, and a winnable game against a good team in Missouri this week at home. Yeah, that'd be a good uh, win. Be, they need some more quadrant. Yes, we have wins. to have quad one wins. But at this point in time, I'm just taking wins. Yeah. But I think like things were really not looking great. It's year one, it's early, but a nice little uptick. So keep an eye on that one. And that, Alan. I think is all we have for this episode. We still brought you a relatively long one. Uh, I went on a long rant. I'm sorry to all of you and to Alan. I added like 15 (laughs) minutes of NIL rant time in there. Uh, Anyway, there you go. Yeah, you know, you got to get out of your system. I mean, that's that's the emotions everyone is feeling. You match that, I think. But um, yeah, hopefully better times, better news ahead for Florida. Maybe the basketball team can get on a roll here and have an enjoyable spring. But let's close it out. We're going to come back after the quote-unquote regular signing day. We'll, we'll be back with you in February. But for now, enjoy your January, wherever you guys are at. See you later.
Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.